Because we're talking about God's covenant love, and we're talking from the, uh, the book of Malachi. And uh, we started last week, if you weren't here last week, or you didn't hear the message last week, where we introduced our series, and we introduced the idea of, um, of covenant. I'm not going to re-preach that this morning, and I encourage you to... to uh, uh, for context, it's going to help you to understand where we're going in this series to get last week's message that talks about what is covenant. In a nutshell, uh, in a nutshell, covenant is a vow, a promise of commitment in relationship between two people, two nations, two groups, a covenant, a vow, a promise of relationship, a, a vow to, to fulfill certain promises. And we said last week that our God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He made a number of covenants in the Old Testament. Here are just a few, just a few examples of covenants in the Old Testament. And God... Uh, made a brand new covenant for all of humanity in Christ. That he is the new covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. On the night before he went to the cross, he said that. This is the new covenant in my blood. That in the blood of Christ, in Jesus' sacrifice, God made a covenant of love towards humanity, that if we would just turn to him, we would, we would be brought into his family. We would be one of his people. And that we would receive all the benefits and blessings of being part of the family of God, the covenant family of God. We were made for God. We were made for covenant relationship with Him. From the very first humans that were made, God made them for covenant relationship. We talked about that last week. We were made to be part of His family. We were made to love and worship and honor Him as Father, as Lord, and as King. And our lives are meant to be spent in the joyful delight of serving God because in serving Him, we find the fulfillment of our purpose, why we were made. And of course, all of that became quickly broken and twisted when we chose to live for ourselves instead of living for Him. We chose to find fulfillment in serving created things instead of serving our creator, right? But because we are hardwired to worship, God made us that way. He made us for covenant relationship with him. We are hardwired for worship. Humans have a natural tendency towards religion. We will worship something. But often the religious structures that we create exist 
to serve us rather than to serve God. They are meant oftentimes to tame God and bend Him into service to our desires and needs instead of the other way around. We keep Him around for our needs when it's convenient. That is, that is the tendency of humanity. False worship, false religion. I want to talk to us today uh, 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 a little bit of a heavy message, but I think an encouraging message as well about godless religion. About godless religion. One of the challenges for a preacher is to make two or three or four thousand year old texts accessible to a 21st century audience. As you can imagine, completely different culture, completely different world, and making that bridge. And this is no less of a challenge for us in Malachi. Now, as always, we need to do our best to read the Scripture in the culture in which they were written, not, not from our 21st century context. And so our passage this week in Malachi starts out with uh, some comparisons of our relationship with God to some human relationships, to a father to a boss, to a king. Today, and, and it talks about how we are to have um, respect and honor for those leaders and those people in our lives. And, and, you know, today, we may have the attitude that our father, our boss, or the leader of our government, well, well, they can have our respect when they darn well deserve it. Right? But in the honor culture of the ancient Near East, this would have been an almost unthinkable attitude. It was just a given that you honor your father, you respect your boss, and you reverence your king. And in the first part of our passage, God says that although the people would never think of dishonoring, disrespecting their father, their boss, their king, that, that that's how they're treating him. They don't even treat God with the same level of respect that they do these people in their lives. It says, as a son honors his father, verse, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. In our culture, we need to hear worker honors their boss, right? 
Um, the slave honors their master. If I am father, where is the honor due me? If I am master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, it's, we've talked about this before. It's the Lord, capital, all caps, L-O-R-D. That means it's Yahweh, God's name, Yahweh. That's the code in your English Bibles. All caps, Lord, means it's a translation of Yahweh, right? Yahweh Almighty. The word in the Hebrew here is Sabaoth, which means of hosts. The I am, the, the Yahweh, the I am, the incomparable one who is the, the, the leader of the host of heaven, the armies of heaven. This, this title is meant to strike awe in the, in the heart of the hearer when they hear God's like, you, you respect your father, you respect your boss, but I'm the incomparable master of the armies of heaven. Where's my respect? Right? And Malachi re repeats this all through this, the, the first part of our passage this morning. So I'm gonna, we're going to go on and read the rest of chapter 1 and, and listen to, to what God is saying and, the, and the, the punch that is there when he says, Lord Almighty, each time. Okay? So here we go. A son honors his father, a slave his master. If I am father, where is the honor due me? If I am master, where is the respect due me? Says Yahweh of hosts. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Remember the conversational uh, thing in Malachi. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's temple uh, table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you offer sacrifice, uh, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says Yahweh of hosts. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With, with such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. In other words, um, yeah, you treat God that way, try praying to him and see if he does anything for you. <laughs> right? That's what he says. Oh, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says, the Lord, says Yahweh of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because of uh, my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But, your, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. 
and you sniff at it contemptuously, says Yahweh of hosts. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says Yahweh? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. In Leviticus 22, verses 17 to 22, not going to read it this morning, but you can look it up later. Leviticus 22, verses 17 to 22, if you're taking notes. Um, God gives very clear instructions to the priests and to the people that they are to always, when they bring a sacrifice into the temple, they are to bring a lamb, a goat, a bull, without blemish. Not blind, not lame, no open sores. He gets very gross and specific about what not to bring. There is no question that the people know what is expected of them in this covenant relationship. Now, a little, little caveat here, a little explanation because we know sacrifice, blood sacrifice of animals in our culture just sounds horrendous, right? I mean, again, we're hearing this with 21st century ears and we're going, what? Right? But let me suggest to you a couple things. First of all, it happens every day. Only you pay someone to do it behind closed doors where you don't see it. Chicken thighs don't grow on trees. Ground beef doesn't spring out of holes in the ground. You pay someone to do this for you. But when, when sacrifices happened in the temple, it wasn't just meaningless slaughter of animals. They actually would have a meal. There was no worship in the Bible that didn't include a meal with God. I don't know if you understand that. Worship meant having a meal with God. Temple was not a place where, where people were, you know, just super super dignified and floated on the ground and, you know, never... I mean, it was where people went to slaughter animals and have a meal. The people would eat barbecued meat and, and God's portion would be burnt up as a burnt offering to God. And the people would enjoy a meal of fellowship with God and with each other. And in the New Testament, Jesus said... You're to have a meal together when you worship. Break bread and celebrate my blood and my body in a meal together as worship. There was no worship without eating together 
in the Bible. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about sacrifice in the temple. And what God is upset about here is not just the fact that these people were disobeying God and breaking some rules. But it was about what it showed about their hearts. Imagine for a moment that, that it's your friend's birthday. And it's a big one. It's their 50th. It's their 60th. It's a big birthday. And they're throwing a party. And you've been hearing some of their other friends talk over the last few weeks about how they're trying to find the, 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 the best, you know, the, the most special gift that they can think of giving to this person. Puzzles, Pam says. Um, and, and, and here you are, it's the morning of the party, and you're like, oh, I guess I should get a gift of some kind. I, I don't know. I think I've got a box of stuff in the garage that I didn't sell at my yard sale. I think I've got some stuff that maybe would be, you know, I could give that. I've got, uh, I've got a, a broken umbrella. Um, uh, I've got a half-used deodorant thing. Eh, she'd probably like that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, a Richard Simmons VHS video. Wow. They need to lose weight. I think I'll give them that. And uh, some kind of toy. And a, oh, a clock with no minute hand. There we go. Ah, I got my gift. I'll just pack this up, wrap it up, and give it to them. Right? Now, what would that gift... What would that gift say about you? What would that gift say about the person, the relationship that you have with that person? When that person opens the gift in front of all of their friends, what does that say about how you value this moment, how you value and treasure that friendship. You've dug in the garage to find junk to give someone on their really important day. Savior, I can give that to you if you want. It's all yours. Um, right? And, and so God is saying that's, that is a picture what you're doing by going and finding the, the lamb you didn't want anyways, the goat that's got open sores that, that you can't, can't seem to get healed, right? And you're going to bring that to God because, oh, I don't know if he sees anyways, so we might as well just give that to God, right? It's not just about the people's disobedience, but about the fact that they couldn't be bothered 
to bring God a good gift, let alone their best. God is not their weird uncle that they want to send a subtle hint to not come and visit me anyways. Right? But he is the great king. He is worthy of their best. So what is our attitude when we approach worship on Sundays? Is it our most anticipated 90 minutes of the week? Do we come ready to give our all in joining in to to sing and speak our praise to God? Do we come leaning in to learn and grow together? Do we come ready to participate by giving financially to God and investing in the work of His kingdom? Do we come ready to give of ourselves to help someone else? Or do we come just to get something for me? Do we sit back and say, yeah, show me what you got. I put five bucks in the plate. Give me a show. Sing the song I want or I'm not going to be happy. Preach about my favorite topic or I'm not, I, you know, I'm going to be ticked. Are you going to serve me? Do we go home talking about what God did in our hearts and what we learned? Or do we go home talking about what someone was wearing? Or you wouldn't believe what that guy did this time. In fact, these people didn't just not care about what they gave God. They went out of their way to choose the garbage and give that to him just so they could check it off their list of things that they had to do. And our worship is not just about Sundays. Let's expand it out from from Sunday morning. Our worship is how we live our lives as honoring God in every area of our life. Our church life, our family life, our work life, our financial life. We are meant to be in covenant relationship with God. That's not something that we turn on at 10.29 a.m. Sunday morning and turn off when we go home, but it's a 24-7 lifestyle. And if we view worship as putting in our God time for 90 minutes so that he will leave us alone for the other 9,990 minutes of the week, I did the math, then we are participating in godless religion. Religion without a living covenant relationship with God. He did Everything to bring you into relationship with Him. We're busy. And if, if, you, if you and I just check in occasionally with Him so we feel better about ourselves and aren't interested in walking with Him or living with Him, then our religion is dead. In, in chapter 1, verse 10 here, God says... Basically, that if, if we're just playing religious games, we might as well shut the whole thing down. Close the doors, 
bar the windows, mothball the building, because it's better to not even gather and meet than to make a mockery of our worship with God and make a mockery of God in the world. And I'm concerned that there is a plague of half-hearted, part-time Christianity in the church today that wants to add the benefits of being associated with our buddy Jesus, but without the willingness to reorient our lives around him as our King and our Lord. As has been so eloquently said, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Right? Putting in your God time doesn't accomplish anything if your heart isn't given to Him in covenant relationship. I don't care you know, what we may say our relationship with God is, if Jesus is truly first and our first priority, then it will show in how we treat other people. It will show in how we're willing to engage with others in loving ways. It will show in the attitude that we serve with. It will show in whether we serve with excellence or do as little as we need to to check our box. And if God is not honored in his family, the church, then how will he ever be honored in the world, is what he's saying to us this morning. The second part of our passage won't, will be a, a little shorter this morning. Sorry, this was the first part. <laughs> Covenant means all in, not half-hearted commitment, was our first point. And our second point this morning is covenant people need covenant leaders. Second part of our passage is chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to read that as well. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, says Yahweh of hosts, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. That doesn't sound good. Yes, I already have cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. Levi is the, the father of the whole priestly family, right? Uh, may continue, says Yahweh of hosts. And then, in quotes, here is the covenant. My covenant was with him, with Levi and the priests. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. 
and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. And people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and your teachings have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. So I have cursed you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. The second part of our passage this morning um, speaks of church leadership. The challenge that we're hearing from the Word of God this morning, it hits all of us. Are we putting in time or are we living out the call of God on our lives? And folks, we all have a call of God on our lives. The passage here uses some graphic language talking about the, the dung of their festival sacrifices and being carried off with it to the manure pile. It uses graphic language to say that if church leaders are not taking their roles seriously, if they're, not, if, if they're, if they're in it for the paycheck or the political advancement, or power over people, or just couldn't get a job anywhere else, so they're punching a clock, or whatever, if they're treating God and His church with dishonor, they will end up on the garbage heap of ministry. We are seeing many ministries facing turmoil today. And church leaders under legal trouble And under the microscope of the media. And this is a painful thing as the church to watch happen. It's a troubling thing. But it isn't necessarily a bad thing. God is cleaning house in his church. And he's calling leaders to account. He's calling his church to account. God is getting his church ready for a fresh outpouring of his spirit to move across our land, but he needs a church that is ready to, as, as, as humble containers to hold and carry what God wants to pour out. No, no leader should be above accountability. If you have questions about something that I'm teaching, the way that I'm doing something, the way that I'm treating someone, I want you to come and talk to me about it. I'm not above making mistakes. I'm not above failing. And I would rather be lovingly questioned about something and rethink a course of action than to end up on the garbage heap of ministry. But there is a difference between accountability and a critical attitude. Sometimes we behave like we think criticism is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, kindness, 
and gentleness are fruit of the Spirit. And so if we can have loving, patient, kind, and gentle conversations about things that we're questioning, then we will have had Spirit-led conversations that lead us all into life and peace. And as a leader, I want to be part of the covenant that we read here in Levi, uh, uh, Levi's covenant in Malachi. Isn't this beautiful? My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. I want these things to be said of me. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. If that was the life commitment of every church leader, where would the church be today? Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I want to land on this statement. Maybe you can stand with me this morning. God does not want our religious effort. He doesn't want us checking off boxes because there's stuff we have to do to make God like us. Or there's stuff we have to do to make God not hate us. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. One, uh, one verse in here talked about how, how they, they saw it such a burden to be bringing sacrifices into the house of God. Such a burden to serve. Such a burden to do the things that God had called them to do. Can I suggest that if you find church life, church ministry burdensome, then you're either doing it wrong or you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because God wants us not to live in a checkbox world when it comes to Him. He doesn't want us to give our 90 minutes of God time and then forget about Him for the rest of the week. And if that's all this is to us, He'd rather we just stay home. But he wants our hearts, folks. He wants our hearts. 
died for you, gave his life for you. He spent agonizing hours on the cross for you, bearing your sin and your guilt to his death. And then, thank you, God, on the third day, he ripped the doors of hell off and walked out and conquered death for you. He wants your heart. He wants us in his family. He wants a covenant relationship with him because he's a promise-making, promise-keeping God who loves you. He's calling you closer today. And he wants us to know that we are loved by him and wants us to live like we actually love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to pray with you today. Father, I thank you for your amazing love. Your amazing love that kept your promise even though it kept you pinned to a cross. I thank you you don't want my performance. You want my life, my heart. God, if there's anyone today that has been stuck in religious behavior that has been empty, Pray that today they would hear your call and they would take a step towards you. In fact, they'd come running towards you and receive your love today. Realize that this, this Jesus thing is not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be life and peace. And so we come to you today to receive afresh your gift of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the uh, Breakthrough Team or Prayer Team to come to the front. God has spoken to your heart at all this morning. I encourage you not to rush out, but uh, feel free to come up and we would love to have the opportunity to, to pray with you, to to support you in, in whatever you need prayer for. If you just feel like dwelling in God's presence and, and praying on your own, feel free to do that. Thank you so much for joining us today, both online and in person. And uh, I hope that you show up for prayer this evening at uh, 6 o'clock. And uh, bless you.